0: The CNBC app: global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts, and market insights—all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: Welcome to Scorebox with Karen Cho, Jeff Cutmore, and myself, Steve Sedgwick, and these are your headlines. So the Brexit dinner date has failed so far to break the deadlock as Britain's Boris Johnson and EU Commission Chief Ursula von der Leyen give the two sides until Sunday to reach an agreement. This has sent sterling mildly lower.
0: European leaders are optimistic they can unlock €1.8 trillion Euros in recovery funds after Germany strikes a deal with Hungary and Poland to overcome their differences on the bloc's budget. The European Central Bank is expected to provide a fresh injection of stimulus expanding and extending its bond buying plan as Deutsche Bank CEO Christian Seving tells CNBC low rates are still hurting profitability.
2: Yes, there is headwind from the interest rate, but it will gradually soften actually versus the year 2020. So the headwind is slightly coming down versus the year 2020, which obviously makes us confident that we can achieve our goals.
3: British and American regulators look into Pfizer and BioNTech's vaccine after two adverse allergic reactions, while the companies reveal hackers have stolen data on the drug here in Europe. Airbnb reportedly prices its IPO at $68 a share above its target range, while DoorDash shares surge over 80% in its debut day of trade, valuing the delivery group at $71 billion.
0: So very good morning, everybody. Look, we made it to Thursday, but we still have some unresolved issues, don't we? We're tracking two market moving stories this morning. So let's focus on the ECB first. What will we get from the European Central Bank? The European Central Bank is expected to roll out some fresh stimulus measures today. That's the thinking from the analyst community, including a possible expansion of its pandemic era bond buying programme when the Bank announces its latest policy decision later today. We'll have team coverage of that. We'll take you out to Annetta, who, as you know, also spoke with Christian Sebing. So interesting to get her views on what we think will happen today. The other big story, of course, is this uh, uh, overhang of where we're going on Brexit. In Brussels, a Sunday deadline has been set to reach a Brexit trade deal following critical talks between British and EU leaders and of course we have team coverage this morning on exactly where we are going on the twists and turns on the latest here. We'll get to Sylvia in Brussels in just a moment but let's just uh, give Sylvia and Anetta the opportunity to relax for a few moments and we'll focus on Brexit here in the UK European and UK lawmakers have vowed to decide on a potential trade agreement by the end of the weekend following an in-person meeting between Prime Minister Boris Johnson and EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen. Talks remain at an impasse over several key issues, including fishing rights and the so-called level playing field. Downing Street said very large gaps remain while von der Leyen described the two sides as far apart.
3: Jeff let's just take a look at the market action we've seen a lot of churn in the sterling trade this week and you can see again morning session there's some movement uh, we're pushing lower by a third of percent so some intraday trade certainly taking place at the 133 a 50 odd level we've been a little bit higher than that we've been a little bit lower and we haven't broken out much from a range but uh, certainly a little bit of churn going on with the uh, volatility spiking around the currency trade I want to get to what we're seeing elsewhere and uh, how gilts have been impacted over the course of December, we have seen that gilt slide a little bit lower, lost roughly 10 basis points on the 10-year. We're approached about uh, 0.35 at the start of the month. You can see 0.25, and it's quite strange. You see risk expressed that the yield actually goes lower, but that's a nod to what you're seeing potentially concerns around any economic fallout if there isn't some resolution on this trade agreement. So there's uh, a little bit of movement too on the gilt price, but uh, just worth noting that we've seen on one other key asset class, and that's around the FTSE, It's been up for seven straight sessions.
1: Steve. Uh, thanks very much indeed, Karen. Are we, are we having a chat now or am I just uh, doing a little bit of here? I don't know. I'm unclear. Director? Okay, we are having a chat here. Okay, couple of points, Karen. First thing, we've spent a lot of time and our producers manfully and womanly, I suppose, I don't know what the opposite is, uh, trying to put in uh, some rhetoric around sterling on the back of this. But guess what? To the actual decimal, the pound sterling is exactly at the same level it was when we started the week. Now we keep saying Sterling down on the back or Sterling up on hopes, but if to the absolute second decimal, you can get Sterling to 133, 133, what are we talking 56? exactly where we started the week. So the pound has not moved on the week. So if you have had volatility, you have owned this sterling volatility on the back of this story. You net net, unless you are aggressively trading what's called your gamma, you have not made any money out of this. So having this long volatility trade surrounding these talks is very, very hard to trade. That's my first point as well. The second point on the markets, and I will get to the talks in a few moments time, and Sylvia uh, will come in as well on this as well. The fact of the matter is, if you are going to trade this position now, you have to hold those positions to the weekend and over the weekend. Now, you cannot physically trade your FTSE position, maybe through the spread betters, but it'd be very difficult, uh, over the weekend as well, which means you have to take on the premium that is involved in buying volatility over the weekend. And we heard yesterday how uh, a very large, I think, $2.5 trillion dollar uh, Sterling uh, market was, had open positions uh, surrounding this event as well. So very difficult to trade those over the weekends, but you have to hold them over the weekend when you're not going to have any news flow and you're going to have two days of what's called theta on that position as well, i.e. your decay on that position. So that is a very, very tricky scenario. Now that we don't have a weekday uh, conclusion to this, because having a weekend l- conclusion means you've got the position, but you can't necessarily trade it. So let me park those ideas as well. So what happened yesterday? Well, they had this meal and it lasted three hours and the Boris Johnson um, entourage left bang on 11 p.m. That is a very bad sign as well. There was no uh, after dinner talk. There was no cognac or port poured out as well, where they could just uh, go over the ramifications of what they discussed. So that's a bad sign. A good sign is the fact that they are still giving their, um, their their teams and Monsieur Barnier and Mr. Frost or Lord Frost a couple of days to go over this. But we, we, whether it's three days or four days, we said until Sunday. But would that be Sunday evening or Sunday morning? So maybe 72 hours, uh, maybe a little bit longer as well. But what I find quite staggering uh, is the fact that uh, Ursula von der Leyen turned around and said we have gained a clear understanding of each other's positions. And I saw that and I thought, oh, there's nothing in that statement. And then I thought, huh? How did they not know what each other's positions were up to the point? Now, this is either disingenuous from the commission president or actually it is a statement of fact that despite eight and a half months of talks, they couldn't understand each other's positions. I find that absolutely extraordinary as well. So uh, whilst there are some positive signs, I think there are also some very negative signs from this. But let's, um, let's share it around. What do you guys think?
0: Uh, I don't know, let's um, bring Sylvia straight in. Uh, Sylvia, you got more on this from Brussels. Give us a line on exactly how you think they're going to negotiate this uh, as we run up to the Sunday deadline.
4: Well, so now we have this new deadline of Sunday, to be honest, but the reality is that that might not be the make it or break it moment that we would like to see. In fact, I was reading a note from Eurasia Group earlier this morning and the analyst was suggesting that if there is progress in these negotiations in the coming days, then perhaps the negotiations could go beyond Sunday. So let's see whether or not that will be the case. The negotiators will be returning to work later today. Um, So let's see whether or not there will be progress. But the question, though, is that the two leaders yesterday were not able to answer is what are they going to do about fisheries, about competition rules, and about governance? Because we know that those are the three outstanding issues. And so far, there are no common ground when it comes to that. One European diplomat explained to me yesterday that he would have liked that uh, Ursula von der Leyen would have convinced. Boris Johnson Boris Johnson to change some of his uh, some of his red lines but that was not the case and from a European perspective what I've been hearing here and what uh, Angela Merkel in Germany echoed yesterday as well is that the European Union is not willing to undermine the stability of the single market that's very important for the Europeans and so as Merkel said if you want access to the European single market that comes with conditions. And so the question from a European perspective is actually toward Boris Johnson, is toward the UK prime minister. What sort of access does the UK want when it comes to the European single market? Because then there, it's easier to figure out what sort of conditions the UK will have to comply with. But we heard from the prime minister speaking yesterday in parliament that the UK also does not want to follow certain rules that would compromise the sovereignty of the UK and this is why we are at the, this at this impasse and the reality is that we still don't know what's going to happen in this process. The same level of uncertainty as to whether we'll get a deal or not is still on the table irrespective of that dinner that happened in the building you see behind me here in Brussels.
0: The European Central Bank apparently is set to increase its flow of stimulus measures several weeks after President Christine Lagarde promised to quote, recalibrate all instruments. The Central Bank is expected to expand and extend its emergency bond buying program while keeping lending costs lower for longer. Uh, Anetta joins us now with more from Frankfurt. Um, Anetta, even as the uh, ECB has engaged in keeping liquidity very, very easy, we have seen the euro strengthen, which has perhaps uh, undermined um, some of the opportunity on the economic front. Um, do we think we'll get some uh, verbal intervention today from Madame Lagarde as well on the issue of the currency?
5: Well, actually, I think she won't say too much about it, but she will probably say this is something they also are monitoring. Because back in September, I don't know if you remember, she was very much quizzed about the strength of the euro. and the problems that poses actually to the inflation outlook of the ECB and she kind of uh, didn't really address it Um, and that was not going down too well with the markets. The euro appreciated directly in reaction to it. So I guess yes she will most likely say that they are monitoring the situation but um, having said that there's not a lot they can do about it because clearly the euro strength is also uh, the US US dollar weakness and um, the ECB already has an ultra accommodative that stands, as you were pointing out. So essentially, today's exercise will uh, be provided to ensure that financial conditions are not going to tighten because a recent bank lending survey was suggesting that lenders, given the outlook for businesses uh, might be um, backpedaling on lending and might also um, tighten their financing conditions, meaning make it more expensive for businesses to lend money. So that's what they don't want to see. So essentially what we might get and probably will get an extension of PEP until the end of next year, an enlargement of PEP up to an envelope all encompassing up to $2 euros. And then um, I think the devil's in the detail. We might get um, a different um, tiering multiplier, making it less expensive for the banks to shoulder the negative deposit rate. And on top of that, some new round of Teltro, which actually seemed to help the banks. That was uh, one point in my interview yesterday, also with Christian Seving, the CEO of Deutsche Bank. But of course, the banks do suffer and private client business especially does suffer from uh, the non-existence of interest rates. So I had to ask Christian even yesterday as well how much of a headwind it is actually to their business given that they're always complaining of the low profitability of Eurozone banks. Take a listen.
2: It's of course a headwind. Um, there is no doubt. Um, and the headwind is bigger than we thought uh, last year at this time of the investor day. But I'm very proud how we actually tackled that. Um, if you look at the corporate bank, but also um, the private bank, and here in particular the wealth management, we actually passed on to more than 70 billion of deposits in negative interest rates, far more than we actually thought last year. That was one way to mitigate that. And in this regard, um, again, um, the good thing about everybody talks about the investment bank, and I'm hugely proud of what they have achieved. But The real success stories also in the stable business, because they came to the revenues which we planned prior COVID. And that shows uh, how agile and how dynamic we can react to that. And going forward, yes, there is headwind from the interest rate, but it will gradually soften, actually, versus the year 2020. So the headwind is slightly coming down versus the year 2020, which obviously makes us confident that we can achieve our goals.
5: So, on top of that, to actually um make that all sensitive sensible um we are getting um a new round of staff projection which will then give us a reason for why they are easing further, and that's most likely because their inflation outlook um might have uh, yeah been cut again to, um, yeah, most likely levels they don't want to see at all, also in the medium term, which is the three-year term. And that's a problem to the ECB. And on top of that comes a new inflation target by next year, which could even be more ambitious. So I think there's a lot of question marks surrounding the future outlook Of monetary policy and how they want to convince investors that they are actually able to achieve an inflation target, which they haven't achieved for, I think, more than a decade now. Jeff, with that back to you.
0: Yes, thank you. I think we're all very interested to find out what the ongoing investigation into inflation targeting throws up, and whether we get a shift in uh, focus in the way that the uh, central bank is managing monetary policy at the moment. Uh, But we have the bank. We have Constantine Viet joins us, senior portfolio. Manager for Euro rates at PIMCO. Constantine, uh, um, let me ask you is there any opportunity to front run the announcement today and make money in the rates market?
6: Um, good morning. I don't think so, frankly. The ECB has been reasonably clear um, what they're going to do today. Um, they have communicated that the blueprint will remain the same and won't change with the the focus uh, remaining on the PEP program and the Teltro's. So I don't think there's a lot of, you know, room for for surprises. There are obviously uh, uh, minor tweaks possible here and there, and the Teltro's are terribly complicated. So there's a whole range of uh, 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 parameters they could tweak. uh, But overall, I think, you know, the message will be that, Uh, They want to keep uh, financing conditions for the economy
0: broadly where they currently are. Mm. And and how effective do you think the current policy mix has been in addressing uh, some of the um, current credit lending concerns uh, that we have in the Eurozone? Um, Just about everybody you speak to says the money's there if you want it. In what way will an additional, what, potentially 600 billion bond buying, in what way will that help?
6: I think uh, um, the the overarching idea is that uh, near the effective lower bound on interest rate, it's now a a handover to the fiscal authorities. Fiscal is uh, uh, the policy uh, instrument of choice and and considered uh, very effective, particularly at at the the lower bound. So the uh, idea is that uh, it's fiscal first and foremost, and the ECB stands ready to support the fiscal authorities and uh, given that Europe is, uh, the euro area is a bank-based economy, it obviously applies to the to the lending, bank lending channel and uh, that means that the ECB has to take, make sure that the, the conditions are there, at least on the supply side, and that there are no constraints for banks uh, to, to facilitate credit to the real economy. So I think overall, if you look at uh, where rates are, for example, And the ECB has been reasonably successful. You had the story yesterday that Portugal 10-year bonds are through 0% for the first time. So overall, uh, the conditions are very easy. But obviously, there's also the question about the private sector reaction function and the demand side of the equation.
3: Constantin, we were debating this week about the impact of all of the, the stimulus on inflation down the track and whether we do see any pickup in prices what do you think? Do you think there's any potential for the pepped-up PEP program to make any difference to inflation down the track?
6: Well, as you mentioned earlier, the ECB obviously has failed on its target for a decade, uh, uh, roughly. Um, and obviously, uh, the pandemic wasn't particularly helpful. So there has been an additional hit, which the ECB is currently trying to offset by a temporary operation such as the PEP, and later will probably use the more regular asset purchase programs to fine-tune the post-configuration. pandemic But you also mentioned they will uh, release new staff forecasts, and they will consider themselves probably reasonably lucky if they can show a 1.5% on the headline HICP number for 2023. So they will, you know, and you also alluded to the strategy review. I think the big picture here as well is, you know, review or no review, they will have to remain extremely accommodative for years to come.
3: I want to ask you about uh, the Italian 10-year yield. It's been on quite a journey. If you just do a chart, even for this year, you can see uh, elevated well above that 2% mark At certain uh, parts of the year around the concerns with the pandemic and then gliding all the way down to about half of a percent, which is just extraordinary to see the yield on the paper at that level. How do you view uh, the risks of holding some of the southern peripheral paper?
6: It could certainly go tighter. I mean, uh, um, as long as there are no moral hazard consideration creeping back in, as we've seen uh, uh, a couple of years ago, or some intrinsic political uh, events intrude, as we've also seen in Italy uh, quite frequently, then I think um, the spreads are probably somewhat safer than they have been historically and, and it all comes down to, you know, to what degree the euro is considered uh, the, the Italian currency or whether there are, you know, uh, doubts creeping back in again. So I, I, if you remember back when the ECB started uh, QE in 2015, uh, uh, the spreads, uh, I think the lows were around 85 basis points. And uh, at the inception of the euro area, they have been close to zero. Uh, uh, compared to German bonds, or with German bonds, So there's certainly, they certainly room to, to compress further. But I would also agree that from here, it's probably primarily a carry trade and not so much a uh, spread compression trade.
1: And that's the point, isn't it, Constantine? This is not an investment for any of our viewers now. It is a carry trade. We should be very, very clear about this. It is a means to go and have an asset which you can then, of course, use a multiplier on potentially if you're a bank or just lend out otherwise as well. There are over $17 trillion worth of negative yielding sovereign bonds out there. I can't believe I'm saying this number. $17 trillion worth as well we have to basically just put up a warning whenever you or anyone comes on talking about sovereign bonds don't we because this is the most manipulated market of all time isn't it
6: well i think uh, that's been a decade long trend uh, the neutral real rate has just come down uh, um, um, over the years uh, if you look at uh, japan is at the zero bound since three decades uh, roughly uh, europe is there since 2012 or 2014 And now, you know, it's the first time, I believe, in history where, you know, the whole world is pretty much at the zero lower bound in terms of interest rates. So the Anglo-Saxons have joined the club. So on the one hand, yes, it is extraordinary. But on the other hand, it unfortunately makes some sense.
1: No, No, Constantine, it doesn't make sense to people who look at markets, who look at free markets, who look at open markets. It is the most manipulated market of all time. And I'll just expand on that for those who don't who aren't aware. Because it is owned by the central banks, it is issued by the central banks to pay for government profligacy in some ways, to pay for very important things in other ways, including COVID-19. But nobody should think when they are trading or buying sovereign bonds or picking up a yield or negative yield from it, that they are trading into an open market. I think it's very important to everybody to realise this is completely controlled, whether it be yield curve controls or maybe at the spot prices, completely controlled by central banks.
6: I think that's fair. But uh, for example, if you look at uh, the performance of sovereign bonds in, in Japan over the last three decades, it, ha- it has been spectacular. It one, was one of the favorite trades to be, to be short rates in, in Japan for a very long time and it didn't uh, uh, work that well. So I would agree with you that in my baseline, for example, duration from here is reasonable rate range bound and obviously the, the room for rates to go much lower is, 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 is low. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't expect, on the other hand, uh, uh, rates to go to go much higher either from here. So I would expect duration to and spreads to be reasonably well contained and range
0: bound over the foreseeable future. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com.
3: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.